This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Murder Was the Case is a free-form, conversational podcast which makes educated speculations about criminal cases and human psychology based upon the information we have reviewed. The show is intended to entertain and educate our listeners with regard to criminal psychology and behavior. At no point should the content of Murder Was the Case, whether spoken by a host or guest, be misconstrued as a formal professional opinion or diagnosis, nor as a wholly accurate or complete account of any case. Any person discussed as a suspect or potential suspect is innocent unless a court of law determines otherwise. If you dig Murder Was the Case on Glassbox Media, follow us on Twitter or Instagram at MurderWTCase or on TikTok at MWTC podcast. They made him do something. They made him leave his room or they made him do something along this nature where he had to leave his room. And he was very uncomfortable with that. And he didn't feel good. He got physically like sick over having to leave his room. And then he came back to his room. And when he came back to his room, he fell down, he hit his head. So now he hit his head. They rushed him to the medical facility over there. And that's it. In part two of my conversation with Sonia Ruiz McGraw and Dr. Peter Vronsky, they detail their frustrations with the detective who worked on Sonia's grandmother's murder case. If you haven't listened to part one yet, do that first, or you're going to be lost in the woods. And believe me, there's wolves out there. If he is actually the one that did this to her, I wanted him to have somebody to face. Not that he faces the police and, you know, the police, this is their job and they do this on a regular basis. They don't really have the sentimental level, the attachment. They have it sometimes, but it's to a degree. It will never be like mine, right? Because it's my grandmother, you know, so it would never be like mine. So I wanted him to have to face somebody, the real person, the real consequence, the real energy that it really is. I wanted him to face that. That's not something that criminals usually face. And I wanted him to face that for my grandmother. Eventually, I did tell Connor. Peter was encouraging. You should tell Connor. Connor should know about this. I'm the one that held off on that. I'm the one that asked Peter not to say anything. Please keep this private for me. Please keep this to yourself. I'm the one that pushed him to do that. Eventually, I said, okay, at some point I'll decide when I tell Connor and I will tell Connor. So eventually we did tell Connor. You gave me permission to tell Connor. Yes, because I didn't want Peter to be dragged into, you know, like if Connor was unhappy with what I've done, I didn't want him to blame Peter. We were unhappy and they blame me. Oh, they were unhappy and they still blame you? Yeah, it was a big, it was both. They were unhappy and they blamed me. So it was a shit storm. Uh, Listen, fuck them. Okay, listen, I'm saying on record, it was all me. I'm the one that didn't want them to know. And and I'm going to tell you, if I didn't have to have Peter's help, I wouldn't have even told Peter. Peter only knew because he was helping me, guiding me to tap into Richard in a psychological way. But If I would have been strong enough and able enough to do that myself, I wouldn't have even told Peter. I wouldn't have told nobody. I would have kept the whole thing to myself until I was ready to tell anybody. So it was completely not Peter's fault. Nobody should be mad at him in that regard. And anyway, 
Peter, why don't you say what happened when you told Connor I was talking to Richard? What was his uh, reaction to this? They went crazy right away because they knew about Jennifer. Jennifer had been instrumental in unlocking this case. And so suddenly there's like a loose cannon on deck. Uh, you know, Connor wasn't exactly charmed by Sonia. Just an attitude. You'll be the first to admit that. So they were right away worried about what kind of pictures they were. The first thing they asked me, were they like nude pictures? Right? No, that's Jennifer. Right? So they had to then vet her. She was vetted. They asked me if I had anybody else working in there. And when I told them the answer, they didn't believe me. So I kind of was up subject to this kind of, well, this guy's uncontrollable too. But it worked. It worked out. I think Connor went down to see you, if I remember in person that time. He wanted to really check you out at this point when he realized that you're already contacting him and there's nothing to do. I know he wrote me back a memo saying, well, I talked to her and she's okay, but you got to keep me briefed on everything from now on. And, and we did. Once he knew that you were doing what you were doing, kind of became a three-way operation. He did his part. Sonia did her part. I did my part. And yeah. Rich did his part. At that time, Connor didn't come see me. His only communication with me was over the phone. I had seen Connor for the first time and for the only time when I first went to his precinct, when I first discovered who he was and that he might be handling my grandmother's case. This was the only time I'm almost 100% sure that I had seen him before things towards the end, which we didn't get to yet. But yeah. as of the point of the summertime of 21, I had only seen him the one time and my only communication with him was over the phone. Now, when we revealed to him what I was doing, yes, he wasn't happy with it. But then when me and him had our conversation, you know, I'm not typically really a liar. I'm not comfortable with lying. And so... I felt bad that I didn't tell him the truth because, as I said, I was also trying to hold up my end of, like I said, that we had developed a little bit of a friendship and an understanding, you know, through our conversations and us being like of the same age, you know, that type of thing. And so I felt bad for lying and not keeping him in the loop with things when I told him that I would. So, you know, I did apologize to him. And with that, he wanted me to prove to him and show him different things and read to him what I was writing to Richard. And so I didn't send him anything, but I did read some of my correspondence with Richard just to give Connor the confidence that I wasn't fucking anything up, that I wasn't ruining anything for him, for Connor. And Connor was quite surprised at the way I was handling speaking to Richard. So the immediate thought on someone like me, a victim family member, when they approach the possible person that killed the family, they think that I'm going to go wild. They think that I'm going to want to start punching him in the face, that I'm going to scream, that I'm going to cry, that I'm just going to be an uncontrollable emotional mess. And so... He was very surprised at the way I spoke to Richard and the way I was handling Richard's responses. And so as I was probing Richard in my communication, he was not confirming or denying my grandmother's murder. 
as of yet. Being that it was difficult for us to talk over the phone and things of this nature, I wanted to have his voice. I wanted to face him. And going back to when I was researching people and I came across Nadia Faizani's stuff on YouTube and I came across Jennifer Wise's stuff on YouTube along with Peter, I had seen that these people and even Peter had visited Richard. And so I said, you know, I want to visit this guy. I don't just want to talk to him over the phone or over a Zoom or anything like this. I want to visit this guy. I want to be in person with this guy. And so he was not comfortable with saying anything like over the phone or in the email. And I said, if it's possible, hold off on saying anything to anybody. I would like to have the honor of you expressing to me first thing, being the first one to hear you say any type of anything. And so he said, okay. So he made the promise to me that he would satisfy me in that way to wait for me to visit him. And so, you know, I was going to figure out now how I was going to visit him. What was the problem with visiting him? At that time, the problem with visiting him was that there was still COVID restrictions and I didn't want to have a regular typical visit. When you have just a regular citizen's visit, it's very short, maybe only like 30 minutes, I think it is. It's also from a distance, you know, because of COVID, it would have been far away. Also, you had to wear masks at the time. So how could you clearly hear anything or understand anything? Just a lot of blockages. It wouldn't have made a visit in the right way with all these elements that were in play. So I was hoping to maybe get a visit with Peter or with Connor or with both of them so that we can get a visit that was more in closer proximity with no masks. We can talk. We have time to talk. Because another thing with Richard is that he won't just come right out and say things. You got to talk to him. You got to talk to him. You got to keep talking to him. You got to talk to him about other things that ain't got shit to do with shit because this is going to ignite his memory. Oh, yeah, I remember. Oh, and during this time, this is what was happening. This is might have been what I was doing during this time. You know, this is the way he comes out and says things. The corned beef sandwich. Yeah, pastrami sandwich. (laughs) So (laughs) what's that joke? You know, you ask Rich, where's the best place in New York to get pastrami? And he'll tell you where he left girls on the way to uh, the best place. Uh, to get the pastrami. Oh, right, right. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so he doesn't just come right out and say things, right? So you got you to talk to him. You got to probe him. And in July of 21, Richard had informed me, not Connor, Richard, that the cops paid him a visit. And it was Connor. And so Connor... He knew at that time where I wanted to take this, which is that at some point I wanted to see Richard face to face. And Connor went ahead without letting anybody know, paid a visit to Richard. Even Richard didn't know and tried to get Richard to confess at that time. And now that he knew that Richard was talking to me, he was like, oh, well, do it for Sonia, do it for Sonia. So now he was using me as sort of a pawn on his end of the game to try to just get Richard to just say he did it, you know, because remember, Connor, as I said, is a young guy. He's younger than me and he's a detective. So for him to be working on a case, a 50 year old cold case, and he might be the one to close it on the record. 
This is a big deal for him. Notorious serial killer. Right. This is a big deal for him. Everything about this situation is a big, big, big deal for Connor's career. And granted, rightfully so. That's no problem. I don't have any problem with anybody getting credit for their work that they've done, any kind of work that they've done. But here's where I had a problem with what Connor, the way Connor did what he did. He already got the insider information from me that I was talking to Richard. I told him that Richard was opening up to me. I told him that we were building the relationship. Before I go on, what was his response to you? Didn't he tell you that he was like surprised and impressed? as to how I was handling Richard. Connor, for some reason, didn't hold me such up to par like that. He acted like he liked me, and then really he didn't like me, which I was surprised to know about. But he really didn't like me. So he was using me as a pawn for himself to get to Richard and now say to Richard, oh, do it for Sonia, do it for Sonia. He was using both of us as pawns. Well, yes, yes, that's right. I'm sorry, but I'm just referring to this specific visit in which Richard described to me what Connor was saying. And so Richard had explained to Connor the promise that he made to me and that he was not going to tell Connor anything as of yet at that time. So now for the rest of the summer, Connor disappeared. Didn't hear from Connor. Didn't get no text, no phone call, no nothing from Connor. I was reaching out to Connor throughout the summer. I reached out to him a couple of times. I called his phone, left a voicemail. I sent him a text message in which he assured me, this is my personal number. You can contact me anytime, text me anytime, whatever it is you need to talk. All this type of nonsense he was telling me, giving me the reassurance. But when he made this visit to Richard that one time in July, he disappeared after that. And I didn't understand what was going on with him. I thought maybe, okay, you know, he's a detective. He's a cop. You know, he's busy. He's busy with his work. You know, sometimes they go away for a week or they go undercover. You know, who knows? I don't know. So I gave him the benefit of the doubt. But now in hindsight, after everything's been said and done, which we didn't even get to yet, He might have done that on purpose because of the fact that Richard did not want to do anything without me. So what he did was he knew that Richard didn't want to do anything without me. He knew that it was difficult for me to be able to do anything maybe without him. Right. Because he's a cop. At some point we were hoping that and I want to say we even spoke about him taking me over there because of him being a cop, he can get me in. And he disappeared. And my feeling is that he disappeared because he was unhappy with what Richard told him. He was unhappy with the fact that Richard said, I'm not going to say anything until I see Sonia. And so now Connor was just buying time in, in some type of way, you know, just buying time. Who knows what he was thinking or what he was going to try to do. I think that he was very unhappy with that. It was a dead winter. After that, I mean, part of the problem was was Richard's health was declining, too. That's right. And Uh, so because he was unhappy with that, uh, he was buying time, pushing it off, pushing it off, pushing it off. And you know what? The only person, if anything, he was in touch with was Peter. And then because he knew Peter was talking to me, he was pushing me off through Peter, telling Peter, oh, well, I, I don't have anything new to tell her. That's why I haven't called her back. That's why I haven't spoken to her. That's why I haven't called her back. No, but you should still call me back. Because I'm calling you. You should still call me back out of the fact that I thought we had like an understanding. But really, I come to find out that, like I said, the guy really didn't even like me for whatever stupid reason. That's such a cop thing, too, I've learned. You have people who are the only connection 
to what happened in their family. And there's nothing else you're getting, right? You only have that one guy who's working on that case. And so even if it's like a 60-second call, callback, for some reason, you just don't do it. The no callback is such a, and even I, not being victim family, you know, I experience it. Everybody's is experiencing it, but you're a victim family. Damn, give the person 60 seconds, call them back. Tell them I'm working on it. I have no news for you. Right? So I would be carrying these messages from Connor and basically telling her he doesn't have anything. He doesn't have anything new to say. He doesn't have anything new to say. And often they don't. And acknowledge that that person exists. Don't ghost them. People read things into silences. Right. I really don't know what to make of why he did what he did. That's really just my assumption in hindsight. I don't really know why he pushed me off or pushed me off for so long. It's not that he didn't like you. He didn't like you or he did not like you. You were just another client. It wouldn't make a difference. You're a client. You're a citizen. Whatever he gives you, he's going to give you, but he's got a duty. That's it. I was hurt by that because, as I said, we did have a few conversations at length in which I had expressed to him that I don't have the support of my family. My mom is too sick to handle this situation. And I'm lucky I'm any type of sane that I am. So I did explain to him, you know, really how truly deeply I felt this was like a miracle situation. The fact that it was one thing back in November 2020, it was one thing for me to think about, oh, yeah, okay, well, you know, let me try again. Let me see if I could figure things out again. But for something to actually be happening and happen and for me to possibly be the one or be such an important component in helping my grandmother's case get closed. I just can't explain it. I can't explain how surreal you would just never think that after 50 years, I expressed this to him so many times. And I asked him and I said, you need to be my friend in this. I need a friend in this situation. And what's discussed? I know I remember writing a memo to Connor about your viability as this kind of conduit to Cottingham. And one of the things I mentioned that how you are motivated by the family dynamics of your history there, swimming up current. This isn't about celebrity for you. You know, it wasn't really about you. It was about your family and some dignity for Lorraine, for your grandmother. And that one of the major dynamics of that was the family pressure you had not to do this. I mean, that was memorialized in the memo when they kind of asked me, can she do it? And is she saying the family dynamic? Because like I said, as she describes, it was a primary motive. Obviously, that's very important to you. Did you guys talk about that before? You're feeling shut out by Connor. Oh, yes, of course. Of course. I was calling Peter to see if he had heard anything from Connor, in which his responses to me would be, sometimes he would tell me no, and then he would reach out to Connor himself for me to see if Connor would answer him, and then Connor would answer him. And then that would be the responses that he would give to Peter. Well, I don't have any news for her. I don't have any news for her. Connor was moved from South Nyack to the district attorney's office. South Mayak no longer exists. I've seen now three cops retire, and I've seen one police department disappear. South Mayak police department does not exist. When Sonia went to see Connor, Connor Fitzgerald, he was in the South Mayak police department. It vanished. That was during the last couple of months. 
Yeah, he's going to go to work with the district attorney's office in Rockland County, and he's going to bring the case. He's going to take it from South Nyack because it was supposed to go to another jurisdiction, Clarkstown. So he took it with him to the district attorney's office. All his numbers changed. So I had only one number for Connor, and eventually I gave it to Sonia. And then, of course, you called him at that number, and he gave you, know, did you give Sonia your, my, my number, right? Connor, it's the only number I have, and you should be calling her anyway. And that was going to become a bigger and bigger issue until it became a, well, let's get there. Okay, so Sonia, when did you finally meet this Rogan person? I met Peter also in the same summer, the summer of 21, in which we had visited some areas in the city that Richard had occupied. We went along the Flatiron District, which was a very well-known area that Richard had went to school in. And then some years later, he had also worked there. And as he worked there, he also would find his women. Since he was working in the city at that time, I believe he also lived in New Jersey at that time. So he was traveling from New Jersey to New York City. And so he would find the time to do what he was doing before work and after work. That's where it was most prominent. Times Square was most prominent for prostitution. He was also traveling heavily along the Queensboro Bridge and into Long Island City. So as I mentioned earlier, that's where Queensbridge is located in Long Island City, New York. And so the Queensboro Bridge, hence the name Queensbridge, that bridge goes right over the neighborhood, leading you into Queens. So we went along these areas. We also ended up to hit a spot that we know Richard also hung out at, which is called the Abbey. That would be, I believe, on Park Avenue. Was it Park Avenue and 26th Street? Somewhere in that area. And it's a very old restaurant bar that has been there since his time. And he had explained to both me and Peter on separate occasions to where he would bring his women for a date when Richard would pick up a victim, which would be a prostitute. He wouldn't appear to force them into anything. He wanted to make the woman feel comfortable, like wine and dine them a little bit. He would carry wads of money with him and he would show the women the wads of money, you know, to get them to feel okay with going with him. And, you know, he would be polite and he would be a gentleman. You know, he would ask them if they're hungry, do they want to get something to eat? So a very well-known place that he would take them to was the Abbey. And so me and Peter ended up to visit that restaurant bar and we actually ate there. We sent Richard a picture of me eating Richard Loves Burgers. I also love burgers. And so I decided to order a burger and I took a picture with the burger and sent it to Richard just so that he can feel like I'm relating to him in some type of way. And I'm also relating to him now. Now I'm coming from a different dynamic, right? Before I was when I was sending him pictures of myself and with my dog, I was sending him the dynamic from my perspective. But now I was entering into his perspective of things. Now he has the real visual of me being there and being that he's so close with Peter. And dare I say, they're almost like friends. They're even friends. I mean, am I right, Peter? You kind of have conversation with him like a friend, right? 
That's right. Man to man now, right? Richard almost felt like he was there with me instead of Peter. And so that's why we kind of did that that way. And it was very fun and funny and interesting. Me and Peter spent the whole day together doing this and thinking about how bugged out Richard was going to be that, you know, we're freaking out a serial killer. Okay. We're (laughs) freaking him out. Okay. You know, we're going off on that. And just like, this is just so fucking insane. We're Um, out manipulating him. You know a couple things about him. One of them is that he's a, an extreme fantasist. Yeah. So you're putting yeah. pictures and desire into the mind of the fantasist. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys knew what you were doing if you said the word fantasy at the time, but it's perfect strategy. Well, you know, she's sitting where some of his victims sat, right. where some of his mistresses sat. Um, we send them a picture of the menu, right? The prices on how much a burger there kind of shocked him. But he was vicariously vicariously living through this. After, you know, me and Peter met, now we, you know, we had more of a sense also of each other and how we were going to continue to pursue Richard. And I also started developing a want to maybe want to help other people in this situation. So if I can help Richard talk about anybody else, he might have done something to get that peace and reconciliation for another family. You know, I started to think more outside of me now going along with this, because as we mentioned before, also, we thought this was going to end fairly quickly. We thought once Connor and Peter found the family and now they got evidence, this is the killer. We thought this was going to be like more one, two, three, a little bit. And every month or every other month, we thought, okay, this is it. This is it. Something's going to happen. Something's going to hit. Something's going to come out. You're going to be able to go see him. We kept thinking that something was going to close on this and it just kept getting prolonged and prolonged and prolonged. So because it was getting prolonged, now I started just naturally thinking, what else can be done with this situation? Who knows if this guy is going to die before he even gets to say anything? I'm not the only one out there. You know, there's other people out there that he's done this to. And let's say he didn't do this to my grandmother. Let's say it wasn't him. Or let's say he doesn't remember my grandmother. Can I get him to now remember other people? Can I get him to talk about other people? You know, I got really interested in that. And so since I had met him, as I said, we got a better feel for each other, you know, with where we wanted to go with this and how we wanted to pursue this in the long term, since that's what it was seeming. It was seeming like this was going to be a long term thing at this point. Now we're heading into fall of 2021. And so Connor finally had gotten back to me at some point. The whole summer went by, but he ended up to get back to me at some point because I think Peter expressed to him how I was really wanting and hoping to hear from him, even if it wasn't anything. But, you know, we got to touch base, just touch base with me. That's it. That's all that I wanted. So he ended up to do that. But it was very brief. We only spoke maybe like two times in the fall in which he didn't have no updates for me. So I was getting my own updates. So now I started getting more aggressive with the situation, started calling the jail. So now Peter gets wind in about October or end of September that Richard is sick. So at some point, they forced Richard to do something over there, apparently, that he wasn't comfortable with. He's a person that he doesn't like to leave his cell He doesn't like to go outside, which that sounds ironic. You know, usually when you're locked up, you want to get the fuck out. Not this guy. 
he wants to stay there. He's comfortable. He's comfortable with how he's established himself over the last 30, 40 years, right? So he doesn't like going outside. He doesn't like to see anybody. He doesn't really like to talk to anybody like that. So at some point in about end of September, beginning of October, they made him do something. They made him leave his room or they made him do something along this nature where he had to leave his room. And he was very uncomfortable with that. And he didn't feel good. He got physically like sick over having to leave his room. And then he came back to his room. And when he came back to his room, he fell down. He hit his head. So now he hit his head. They rushed him to the medical facility over there and that's it he never came out he has not been regular since then that's right he has not been back to where he was since then so he was getting sicker and sicker and sicker so now i'm panicking right because all my fears of what i explained to peter about this guy dying before he gets to say anything is starting to feel like it's coming to a reality that that's what's going to happen to me and i did not want that to happen to me i wanted to see this guy i wanted to get my vengeance that's my vengeance my vengeance towards richard was that i want him to face me as i mentioned before that's my vengeance my vengeance for that situation i really just wanted that and so it was starting to become impossible with the COVID rules. And then now he's sick. Now as I'm writing to him, he's taking longer to write back to me. It's taking longer for him to get my responses. It's becoming a complete shit show. Then he gets transferred. Then he gets transferred. He gets transferred from one facility to another. And now he's in Southwoods and he's still in Southwoods as of right now. But he's been in Southwoods since January. He's been in the medical facility over there and he hasn't come out. Let me cut to the chase here, right? So we go like this all winter now 2022 nothing is happening i'm calling sonia every three weeks nah there's no news nothing's happening nothing's happening and then come june suddenly after nothing was happening we have nothing more we can do other than us lobbying and sonia by now was calling the medical facility because he's not getting the best medical care and we are worried that He's going to die if he's getting treated the way he's being treated. And so Sonia, a number of people are calling, lobbying for him. You know, there's a social worker that works with inmates that knows calling, calling him, calling the medical people. And then suddenly in June, everything changes. Connor, Detective Connor Fitzgerald now, goes in to see Cottingham. And he brings another police officer with him as a witness. That was in May. When he went. In May. Sorry. When in he May. went, it was in May. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're right. In May. In May, he goes Beginning in. Beginning of May. Mm-hmm. But in June, the announcement is going to be made. Tell that part, Sonia, because you got the okay. first call. Connor wasn't going to call me until he called you first. So he certainly gave you the courtesy and respect. As close as I was in this case, the first call he made was to U.S. family. He did the right thing at that moment in May. Yeah, so as Peter said, we went through the whole winter. Uh, Nothing was moving. All we knew was that his health was declining. So I was actively calling the jail every other day, every other week, trying to check on him, trying to make sure that he was okay. We were getting emails and everything from each other late. We weren't getting it from each other as we used to anymore. 
Richard was expressing to me that he wasn't being treated right. They were doing this. They were doing that. So yes, I was calling the jail. I was reporting, making reports for the inmate that he's being mistreated, trying to get them to keep him okay and keep him alive so that he can do this, not just for me, but for other cases. There's other cases still pending even right now that are waiting to be closed based on him. So all these months... That's all we were working on, just keeping him hot, keeping him hot as far as with the communication with me and him, with pictures, still sending him pictures, and also making sure that the medical sector that he's located in is doing the right thing and upholding him physically so that we can make this happen. However the hell we're going to make this happen, we still don't know what's going to happen here. Connor is still not contacting me and he's still telling me that he has nothing to say to me. Even if I spoke to him, I probably spoke to him one time in the spring. Okay. So now Connor once again paid a visit to Richard and he did it in the same type of way that he did it in July of 21. So remind you, when he paid the visit in July, Richard told him that the next time Connor is to come visit him, he should bring me along with him. This is the next visit after that. So Connor went ahead, paid the visit, didn't tell anybody. He didn't tell Peter he was going to go see him. He didn't tell me he was going to go see him. He just went. And Richard also, once again, did not know that anyone was going to come see him. So in May, he went to go see him. He took somebody else from his precinct with him as a witness to whatever the conversation is going to be. And... He went there with the intention of trying to extract information from Richard again without me. In his opinion, he had gotten some information from Richard that was going to be satisfactory enough to close my grandmother's case. So when he had this visit, he did call me, as Peter said, he did call me first thing to tell me the ongoings of this visit. He ended up to come to Queens with the other officer that was with him during that visit. I don't think they came to see me the same day. It was probably a whole nother day because Richard's far away. He met me at a park and he explained to me that Richard had told him some details about my grandmother's murder and that he felt he can do something that's called an exceptional closure to my grandmother's case, which would mean that the case is closed based on a confession not based on any real physical evidence or undeniable things like that, just based on whatever Richard said. It's being accepted. I thought that this was very strange because Connor knew what me and Richard wanted to do. He knew what I wanted to do. He knew how important it was to me. And Richard had also told him how he wanted to do it. And all these years, even before me, that's how Richard has always been handled is that he's always been aware of what's going on. With other jurisdictions. Yes. With Manzalone yes. and Bergen County. Yes. There would be a He's red only... light. This is now confession yes. time. He would yes. uh, waive his Miranda rights. None of that occurred. Yes. Richard has always been aware in previous situations of what was going to go on. And even when he would tell an officer something, the officer always knew how to handle it. He always knew... That, okay, just because Richard told me this, it doesn't mean that it's a confession. Richard was always on the same page with the police to say, okay, we're planning on doing it this way. This is how we're going to do it. You're ready to confess. 
yes, this is an official confession. I'm ready to confess. Okay, let's do it. And everybody's on the same page and everybody has done it together. This was the first time that I know of that Richard was tricked to say whatever he said. And I got this feeling from Connor, like, why was he in such a rush? If there's no physical evidence and there's no this and no that, and you practically ghosted me for seven, eight months, telling me you got nothing new. And then all of a sudden, one next visit you have with him, you wanted to close the case. So he goes on to tell me what Richard said to him. He said that Richard had explained to him that he had seen my grandmother in various places prior to killing her for months before. So he had seen her a couple of times for months before in different places before he actually made the physical or verbal contact with her. He explained that he met her at a bar. He wasn't sure which bar it was or exactly, exactly where it was at the time. So he's not sure if he met her in Manhattan and he picked her up and took her to where he took her or if he met her upstate and then he took her where he took her. But he knows that he met her at some type of establishment. He explained that they went for some type of drive. There was talk about exchanging money for a sexual favor. I'm not sure if it actually happened or not. And they got into sort of a verbal argument over how much money he was going to give to her. She felt like it wasn't enough. She wanted more and he didn't want to give her more. And so they kind of got into that spat and that spat kind of grew from there where her body was found. He had already went to that location with her to perform the sexual favor. And so I think maybe it wasn't done because they got into that argument over the payment and that argument just went out of control. And he explained that because he had seen her previous, that that's why he decided to end up to kill her. He gives the excuse in pretty much all of his killings that the reason why he murdered who he murdered is because he felt like he would get caught in some way. He felt like if they knew him or if they'd seen him before and, and if something else was to happen, that this was now a witness who had experienced something with him and now it would come back to haunt him. So because he had seen my grandmother before and because he now got aggressive with her, you know, domestically grabbing or hitting her, he felt like she would go to the police and report him for what he did to her, that he beat her or something like this. And so that's why he felt like he had to kill her. He then described removing her from his vehicle. He thinks that she had been already unconscious at that time. He said that he wasn't sure if he had strangled her first and then removed her from the car or if he had strangled her afterwards, after he removed her from the car. And she was maybe violent being removed from the car. And yes, as far as the fracture to her skull, he explained to Connor that if he had strangled her before removing her from the car, that she may have been unconscious and hit her head on the ground as he was removing her. Bullshit. But he wasn't sure of certain things, right? But so this is what Connor is telling me that Richard describes to him. And I said, well... He said he's not sure. And I was pointing out the different things to deter Connor from just closing the case already. Like he wanted to just close this case. He wanted to announce it. That was well, well right. We didn't we didn't know why he was so eager yeah, at that I time. I was arguing with we him. I was saying, why. give us time. Let Sonia go see him now. What's the yeah. rush? He wants to get the win before Richie dies. 
That's what it is. Yes. Well, even if he if he dies, he still has the case closed. He can now he can make the exceptional closure. They don't have yes. to announce it, mm. right? They don't yes. have to announce it. Let her follow through now. What's the hurry? Okay. As well, Sonia needs to notify her mother. So in this same conversation with Connor, I thought it was very strange that he was so adamant about closing the case. I thought it was very strange that he wanted to do it so quickly, so soon, just from this one conversation. And then there was no talk about him helping me pursue what I wanted to pursue. Okay, fine. If you're satisfied, if this is what you want, but then now let's do it the right way. Let's do it the way we all agreed upon, the way we all discussed. So I told him, I said, you know, I need some time with this. I need to process this information. And most importantly, I need to figure out what I'm going to do with my mom. Because any time my mom has had to face anything from the past with the post-traumatic stress, this gets her sicker and sicker. She goes through the periods of being sick time period, long time periods of being sick, not being able to get over things, not being able to stop talking about it, constantly being reminded about it for whatever reason. Right. So being that he wanted to close the case and I asked him, is this going to make public news? Is this going to be out in the open? Because I need to prep my mom for if she's going to see something because my mom, she doesn't leave the house. She doesn't do anything. She doesn't watch TV either. There's no TV in the house, but she has a computer. So she's very intelligent. The emotional messes her up, but she's very intelligent. She knows how to do everything with the computer. She knows how to research things. When she comes across things in a certain way without the preparation, it's an immense shock to her system. And it's not a normal shock to her system, like how we get surprised about something. It's like she's 10 years old again, being faced with this type of stuff. And so I asked Connor to hold off. I said, I don't want this to make the public eye as of yet. I need to talk to my mom. I need to see what she has to say about this. And then I'll get back to you. I told him I would get back to him. So he said, okay, but it's not going to change anything. It's still going to be closed in this kind of way. So the thing with my mom and the importance of my mom knowing first and being prepped for everything first just went right over his head. And that's the sense I had talking to Connor, too. I couldn't understand. You closed the case. That's right. It's going to be closed as it's closed now. Why are you rushing what was the rush public. for him to do that? I don't understand. And he tried we- to reason with me in every which way. Another thing he says to me, he goes, oh, well, if this would have been a current case, if this is something that would have happened last week or last month, and this guy's telling me a location and how he did it and the reason and this and that, he would have been in jail already. I would have had my suspect. He would have been arrested already. Right. But that wasn't the point. I asked him to hold off. Like I keep saying, I thought we established that that friendship. I thought we established me and him, that understanding. I cried to this guy. I cried to him in previous conversations at length, explaining to him how this has affected me, how this has affected my mother, how this has affected, still affecting my mother to this day, how I'm still going through this because of my grandmother and that I wanted for it to be done in a nice way, not the way it had already been. Oh, if you look at my grandmother's newspaper article, I mean, what does it say? What does it describe her as? New Sex beauty. worker or this and that is no honor, is no dignity to it. And I wanted to change that. 
I want now that it was closed, I wanted to change that part. And he knew all of this. He knew that I wanted to protect my mom. He knew that I wanted to bring honor to my grandmother's name and do it in a certain way. So we parted ways with he's going to hold off. He's going to wait for me. And then me and him spoke again. We spoke maybe like a week later or 10 days later over the phone. And I told him, I said, what's going on? I said, what's going on on your end of things? And he said, well, I'm still going to file the paperwork. I said, okay. I said, who controls how it gets to the media? And he said, well, we control that. We control what gets to the media. So I said, okay, if you got to do whatever you got to do for your job, then I guess go ahead and do it for your job. But I don't want any media attention right now on this. I need to figure this out first of how I'm going to handle my mom. I was at the time also reaching out to other family members that aren't so estranged, but I mean, they are, but they're not, so to speak, to see if I can get some help from them with breaking the news to my mom. And I was in the middle of doing all of these things. And so that was its own process because of the relationships and everything with that, right? That I got nothing to do with, but that was its own process. So before I got to that process, now it was another, maybe two weeks later. And so now we hit June. So now it's June. So now this whole time he's waiting for me. He told me he was going to file the paperwork. He told me he was going to keep it silent until he heard back from me. And I had not called him back as of yet. And then all of a sudden, I get a call from Peter. Before I make that call to you, Connor calls me Friday, 20 minutes to 5. Hey, we're going to announce the closure of the McGraw case. You got 20 minutes if you want to be thanked in it. What about Sonia? What about her mother? Well, it's not up to me. It's the public relations people, the public affairs people are going to put it. It's not up to me. I'm just a detective, right? So I'm begging Connor. Don't put the victim's name in. Don't put her age. Don't put the year. Because journalists right now, also, this happens two days after Cottingham is indicted on that DNA hit in Nassau County. See, Wednesday, they announced the indictment. Friday, Connor is now calling me that this is going to be made public in 20 minutes on their Facebook page. And so I'm begging him, don't just say where the body was found because journalists are going to track it down. He tells me all this stuff. There are going to be no details or anything. And of course, it then goes public on their Facebook page. Not only are the things I asked him to remove, there's much more public information in there than there was. And he's gotten a word from some best detective of the year. And so now I got a call. I'm assuming he had called Sonia. I called Sonia that evening and it's news to her. Nobody called her. They just went made public. I think that's when I really started tightly working with you because the case got closed. It was over, but there was this still left, right? Like she's the granddaughter and it's not right. And we literally went to war with the DA, shaming them essentially into taking that post down, changing it. Proceed to part three of my interview with Sonia Ruiz McGraw and Dr. Peter Vronsky. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.